Cristela Alonso is one of only a few Latinos with a Netflix comedy special. And when her first special premiered in 2017, she didn't hold back. People don't realize when you grow up poor, you don't learn how to eat right because it's not about eating right. It's about eating. People don't get that. When I was a kid, I was raised on McDonald's. Single mom McDonald's. Dude, the McRib came back more times than my dad. You know what I mean? Lower Classy detailed what it was like to grow up poor in South Texas. And now, five years later, Alonzo is getting used to a new kind of classy. When you're a kid who had nothing, and you become an adult, and you start getting money you never had as a kid, that's a game changer. I go crazy. (laughs) Guess who buys bottled water? In a moment, we hear from comedian Cristela Alonso about her new Netflix special, Middle Classy. We hear why she took a break from comedy to focus on her mental health and activism, what it was like telling her family about going to therapy, and about being the first Latina to star in and create her own network sitcom. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. To share your thoughts or have your questions answered on future shows, tweet us at 1A. We're listening to my conversation with comedian Cristela Alonso about her new Netflix special, Middle Classy. And she joined us last week to talk about it. I began by asking her how she defines middle classy. For Cristela, she began to embody that term when she got health insurance. The doctor, you know it's important, but in my family, it was always seen as a luxury because we couldn't afford it. And then I ended up getting a TV show that gave me insurance through the Writers Guild. And now, because I won the lottery, I was able to go to the doctor to catch up on my body and see everything that that was wrong with me. And that is, that's middle classy. You know, for me, that's what it is. It's about really attaining the level of where you can get to the point where you can take care of yourself in a way that maybe your friends growing up have always had that they understand that that's just a way of life. And I love to explore it because what happens when you're, I'm in my forties, what happens when you're barely learning these lessons now? And that's why I call it middle classy. Cause it's like, I have money, but I have money in my family. My money is everybody's money, right. you know? Right. So like my money, we're all playing catch up with my money. You know, and and I love doing that for my family, you know, so I'm not rich because of the money that I have to, you know, that has to go out so that we can all catch up. I am middle classy, though. So your first special you performed in San Antonio, Texas, which is a few hours north of where you grew up. In this one, you're on stage in Beverly Hills. Yes. How did that change in location impact your experience and in, in performance, you know the uh, the venue I intentionally picked Beverly Hills because my following uh, is predominantly Latino, and I wanted to intentionally pick Beverly Hills. I wanted an area where we, my like people that come and see me don't normally go, and I made that choice because I wanted to remind people that we belong everywhere. And that we can go anywhere and that we don't have to look a certain way or dress a certain way. 
a street corner, a street, a block. It it belongs to everybody. So I wanted to celebrate that. This is before I even knew I was going to call it middle classy. To me, it was just about like, hey, this is a reminder. No one can tell us where we can't go, especially if it's businesses telling you that you can't go to a certain place. My money looks exactly like everybody else's money. So I'm going to walk through those doors. And to me, it was funny because after I taped it, after I shot the special, I had people that DM'd me on social media that said, I've never been there, you know, and they live in LA. There was a couple that said, we were hungry. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. We felt so out of place. And they ended up going to like a cheesecake factory because it felt familiar, you know, and and it was interesting because I wanted that reaction. I didn't understand that was what you were saying at first. I thought you were looking at this through the lens of like your experience as a comedian and where you belong, but you were thinking about your your audience. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yes. You know, to me, I get to do what I do because of the people that support me. And, you know, it's been this weird thing where you don't try. I I always say that you, you don't try to find your audience. The audience finds you. And in order for the audience to find you, you have to be yourself. And you, you know, at least for me, you know, like that's who I am. But being myself, I never thought that my life was special. And I never thought, you know, it's like, I know so many people that grew up like me. You know, but what I realized is that when you get into the Hollywood ether, the industry, you're a rarity, you know, because everybody's like, whoa, you grew up poor. How do you speak so well? You know, it's like that thing, that connection that makes no sense, you know, and just by being specific in my existence and my past and my reality, my life, I found people that really connected with it. And they just felt happy that somebody was acknowledging a similar background. And I tell you, I don't take it for granted because for me, I also know that a lot of the people that come and see me, I'm the first comic they've ever seen. Like they didn't even know stand-up was a thing. You know, they go to clubs because they remember me from the show that I had. And it's that thing where because of that, I know what it's like being from like a blue collar family going out You have to get a babysitter if you have kids. You got to spend money on tickets. You know, if you're at a club, you got to spend money on drinks. And for me, it's always about how can I make it the best for the audience? How do I make it memorable for the audience? How do I make it worth it for them to come out and see me for a a night? You alluded to your television show, Christella, and I want to talk about that a little later. But I first want to focus on how you grew up. Uh, you yes. you grew up in a border town. You you say you were only around other Mexicans. Yes. But when you moved, mm-hmm. how did that transition affect your your sense of identity or the way oh. you the way you thought about yourself as as a citizen of the world? You know, I it was really weird being born in Texas. I actually thought I was American. And then when you move, you get told that you're not, you're Mexican. And that was a struggle because then you realize that so much of your identity, a lot of times comes from what other people tell you 
that you are some a certain thing. And you're thinking, but I'm not that, you know? And it's like that thing. It's like nicknames, right? Like you don't pick your nickname. Other people pick your nicknames. And that's who you are for the rest of your life, regardless of whether you like it or not. You know, so for me, when I moved, I went to college in St. Louis. My best friend was Byron and uh, Byron was black. And I remember he was actually the one that taught me about identity and actually knowing the specifics of culture. Because I remember we were having this conversation. We met and we just we were like magnetic. It It was just we were all in it. And it was a predominantly white school. I mean, you know, there were some people of color, but not many. So like, you know, the ones that weren't white, we always seem to gravitate towards each other, you know, and, but it was this thing where one day we were talking and he asked me a little bit about my family, like about where I was from, you know, and because his family was really into where they were from. And that I realized when he asked me that, that I never talked about it. And he called me out on that too. He called me out on how, even when I was describing my family, like where they were from in Mexico, everything, you know, it was just so nonchalant. And so like, uh, just a utilitarian answer in a way. In that conversation, did you come to a realization that that was a a deliberate, uh, I guess maybe minimization or was it something else? Just, you just weren't paying attention to it. It was a deliberate minimization. Absolutely. And actually, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because I actually have never known how to describe that till now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it really is this thing where, um, for me, in the border town that I grew up in, we were, we were, we were all Latino. And it was this thing where so many times we wanted to really just fit in. And you see, you know, for me, I watched movies and television and you see these white families, you know, on on sitcoms. And, you know, for years I wondered what a casserole was like, what is a casserole? Like I had no idea what a casserole was, but I wanted it. You know what I mean? Like there was a girl when I was a kid that made uh, fun of me for being so dark because I, you know, even I would spend my days outside. So I'd be, I'd get even more, you know, darker. And I remember when she did that, that next summer I stayed inside to lighten my skin, you know, and it's this thinking that, you know, in order for you to have a chance to succeed, you know, it's like, Hey, maybe dye your hair, maybe lighten your skin maybe try to assimilate into this thing. Like this is the United States, be American. I'm listening to you talk about trying to figure out what it meant to fit in and how Mm -hmm. that can mean so many different things depending upon the space you're in. Yes. But then in your comedy, that's all about being yourself. So how do you <laughs> yes the trajectory ride, ride the that curve right <laughs> yes. because comedy is is funniest when it's honest so absolutely how do you how did you make that transition from oh i got to fit in here i got to fit in here i got to go switch here i got to go switch there to this is yes. just who i am you know cuz you realize i got to the point where i realized that it, like after code switching and trying to assimilate and trying to do everything it was never going to be enough and it's like what i was saying other people tell you what they think you are and you can't change that. And it's that thing where I'm like, wait, 
So if I'm going to be judged by who I am, then why the hell am I trying to not be myself? You know, and it really was this thing where it was a slow, it was a slow move because you grow up thinking a certain way. And then you have to realize, hey, the way that I've been thinking, has it been wrong? Am I wrong in the way that I've been thinking? Who thinks like that? Of course you're right. You're thinking it about you, you know? And then it really was when I started doing stand-up, I realized that what, you know, when I started doing stand-up, it was in Dallas and we all started, I started with a whole group of guys and um, there were always these moments where one comic thought the other comic was stealing their jokes because they were doing the same topic, you know? And I remember thinking, well, damn, just, just, just don't make jokes about that topic then or make it specific. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it really was that slowness. Like I started thinking, well, if I talk about my life, people can't say that I stole their jokes or anything, or like, it's like, or they can't steal my jokes because it's my life. Like it, it doesn't sound right. If you're talking about, you know, if you're, you're doing my jokes about my life. And the moment I started doing that, I realized that people would laugh and I couldn't understand why. That's the thing about doing standup is that you start and you laugh and you try to like, they laugh and you try to figure out what is it and how do I keep doing it? You know? And I realized that, As specific as I was, the specificity actually appealed to people because it it didn't mean that I was speaking about being Latina or Mexican-American or something. You know, it's like I had a joke about, you know, expired milk and how in my family, my job was to taste the milk to make sure (laughs) it was good. And that was my job. And it was really my job. And when I did that joke, people laughed and it wasn't just Latinos. It was white people. It was black people. Like everybody, people had that experience. And that was one of the first moments that I realized, oh, I can talk about myself and people will get it if they get it. And, but it takes a long time. Next, we talk about why she got into politics and how she wants to be remembered as the first Latina to create and star in a network sitcom. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a message. Cristela Alonso was the first Latina to create and star in her own network sitcom. Christella aired for one season in 2015. Now she's out with her second Netflix special, Middle Classy, which opens up with cameos from Democratic representative of Texas, Joaquin Castro, and civil rights leader Dolores Huerta. I spoke to Christella last week and asked her why she wanted to include them in her special. Years ago, I shot my first special in 2016 in August. And uh, back then I was doing some jokes for about uh, the election. And I made jokes about the guy who ended up winning. And, you know, after the first taping, they were like, do you want to cut those jokes? Because he's not going to win. And I was like, oh, no, because it's a moment in time. It's a moment of our history. We have to remember our history. And so I shot it in August. He won in November. 
And this is the 2016 my, election, we should say, just oh, to be yes. clear. Yeah. yeah, 2016, it's Donald Trump. I don't like mentioning his name, but, you know, for for for, for facts, <laughs> for reference, I'll, I'll do it. After the election, uh, I was so heartbroken by the way that people voted. And uh, when it happened, I fell into a deep depression. And I realized that, you know, leading up to the election, I was helping out with the campaign, not his. I was dealing with a lot of the Latino community and we weren't okay. A lot of people were scared. A lot of people were nervous. And after the 2016 election, I decided that I didn't want to work. Like, I didn't want to be funny. I don't want to do comedy. Like, my community was suffering. So I emailed all of my reps and I told them, I'm taking a break from comedy. I'm taking a break from Hollywood. I have to go serve my community and see if they're okay. Because this is not a time to be funny. And at that point, I had already become uh, friends with Dolores, and she's kind of she's my mentor. And Dolores and I, for the next couple of years, we you know I I do house parties with her. I do get out the vote efforts with her. I like I I work with her. We do grassroots stuff all the time. She's become one of my dearest friends, and I I I love her because she teaches me things just by motions and decisions and everything. And I love having that time with her. I remember when I started working on the special, we were talking about the, like the opening, you know, and we started talking about how I'm just such a different person than what I was, you know, six years ago because of everything that I've gone through. But also I just feel like I'm a kind of different comic I have this whole world that's not stand-up related that I, I thought, you know what? I want to merge both worlds and I want to show people that A, people like Joaquin Castro and Dolores Huerta can be funny, but also I wanted to show people this is what I've been doing and this is where I am right now. And especially with Dolores, the most important thing for me was Dolores Huerta is a Latina icon, Mexican-American, who I think more people should know about. And there's just so many women like that in our history that unless you're part of that community, you might not ever know who they are. And even if you're in the community, you might never know who they are. So I wanted to, you know, it's like how, the, how, we, how, how people say I wanted to give her her flowers. In in the, the special, in Middle Classy, you... You talk about dealing with with depression. Let's let's take a listen. Let me tell you, money bought me happiness. When I got money, I went to therapy. I found out I had anxiety and depression. (laughs) All my life, I just thought I was poor. I'm like, of course I'm sad. I'm hungry. (laughs) You're depressed. (laughs) The doctor gave me medicine and now I'm happy all the time. (laughs) I love telling people I'm depressed. You know why? Because that's a rich word. (laughs) 
you have to spend a lot of money to find out you're depressed. Some people who like, struggle with depression, I thrive in it. You know, on our show, we talk a lot about the stigma attached to mental health and how so many communities have trouble accessing care, but also how it can be like a sort of a sensitive thing, right? For some families, it's like, you're, you don't need that. You don't need that. How did your choice to pursue therapy go over in your family? Uh, when I told my family I was going to therapy, it almost sounded like I told them I had killed a body and they were just like, let's just close the door in this room and never open it again. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it really was that. It was just kind of like, like you say something big and they're just like, oh, okay. Um, so who wants fried chicken? Like, you know what I mean? Like it was that. Has the conversation gotten any easier since? Uh, no. Well, you know, here's a no. No and yes. I'll say that it's it's still stiff. But I'll say that I love to talk about it. I love to talk about what I'm doing. And I love to talk about how happy and how uh, just how better I feel as a person. And I love to talk about it just because I want them to know that it it's a thing that can work, you know? And that's a thing. My psychiatrist, I have psychiatrist money. <laughs> My psychiatrist, when I first met him, described mental health in such a genius way where he talked about how, for some reason, we separate the body and the mind, you know, but... If you have high blood pressure, they will give you pills to lower your pressure. And that is just so that you can function and be healthy. That's what meds are for mental health. That's what mental health is. And he described it as, you know, sometimes when we have mental health issues, struggles, it's like a circuit, like a circuit board. And that means that one of the circuits keeps breaking. So you take medicine so that it can all function and it all works well and it all works like it should. And I loved that because in a weird way, if this makes sense, I felt like he minimized it and made it seem like it was just an everyday thing that we have to do because that is part of the stigma that we face. We feel, we approach it like it's just this incredibly ridiculously big life choice that you're going to have. Like it almost feels like that, like the stress that so many people might have if they were asked to change religions, you know, it, it, and it's not that it's just, that's why I try to be so casual about it, you know? And I, I just, it's one of the things that I wish, I wish we could do such a better job at is just making sure that we understand that, Mental health is health. Hmm. I, I want to turn to another moment in the special. Um, this one is focused on your birthday. And, and you mention it in both specials, but for two very different reasons. <laughs> this is from your latest special, Middle Classy. I just got over COVID, you know. Sounds like we're breaking up. I got over COVID. <laughs> It was weird. I still can't smell and taste a lot of stuff. It was wild, you know? It knocked me out. Now, here's the thing. I tested positive for COVID on my birthday. 
I know, that's a bad way to celebrate your birthday, right? Like, happy birthday, right? It was tough. Now, let me tell you, my birthday's on January 6th. So. So we should also note here that January 6th is celebrated in Latin America. It's the equivalent to Christmas. Uh, It's Dia de los Reyes or Three Kings Day. So you've always had to share your birthday with something, right? A holiday. Always. Now an insurrection, a COVID diagnosis. (laughs) How do you reclaim your birthday, Cristela? How do you reclaim it? You know, I I don't know. I'm actually on that journey right now because honestly, I don't know what to do with it. The the Three Kings Day, Dia de los Reyes, I really liked because I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, you know what I mean? That's cool. I grew up Catholic. You know, I'm like, oh, look, it's like I'm an all-star Catholic. You know what I mean? We're having that (laughs) holiday. The insurrection, though, I was just, it was this thing where I remember I wanted to do something for my birthday. (laughs) And I was going to go have dinner with my friend. And in real time, we didn't know what was happening because at first we didn't know the bigness of it. So I had friends saying, like, I had a friend say, uh, I gathered some people for your birthday, (laughs) put it on TV. Like it was a joke, like initially. And then within like a couple minutes, I'm like, what is this? What is this? And as you're seeing it unfold and you don't know how it's going to end. You're thinking, oh, wow, well, my birthday doesn't matter. And then you realize that that day now is just so infamous. It's just everybody references it that now I don't even think about it as my birthday. Right now, I think about it as that day. Well, I want to encourage you to reclaim your birthday. Uh, just as best you can. Like, even if you celebrated a day early or a day late, just like do, do something, do something to reclaim, to reclaim it. I just, I'm holding that for you. Thank you. You've been recognized for breaking a lot of ground mm-hmm. as a Latina, being the first to have your own network sitcom. It got canceled after one season, mm-hmm. but how are you reflecting on this career of yours, this career of of firsts? I think it's great and I think it's sad. I was too busy in the moment to really, I I don't, I didn't, I don't know what that means when you're like the first one, you know, it's like, it doesn't mean like you do anything different or you're actually treated differently. In fact, I'll say that at times with the show, people forgot about my TV show and people don't talk about my TV show when they talk about Latino shows. You know, and I think that that happens a lot when you're the first one. A lot of people don't remember you as they might remember you as the first one, but they might not remember your work, you know, and that's tricky because, you know, you start thinking there have been other shows, Latino, Latina led shows, you know, and Latina created shows. um, But I was the first one to create and star in it, you know, and that to me, it it was like a reflection of my life. It was so personal and everything. And then you realize that, you know, years ago when I had my show, this is how I sum it up. I told a reporter that was doing a piece on me that my show will exist. The shows after me will have the chance to become the Cosby show, you know, and it's a little sad, but it's the truth. 
And, you know, and I have to say, though, doing the first, being the first has also been incredible because I have a lot of women that come up to me and just say that it's possible. And it's all. And then you realize how important it is to have a point of reference. So from you so far, we've had lower classy. Mm -hmm. Now we've had middle classy. Mm-hmm. Is is there? I don't know. Is it upper class? Is that what's next? An upper classy? You know, or <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I actually wasn't sure if I was going to get to middle classy. So <laughs> we like to stay in our lane. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, you know, I would love to treat my specials like a Back to the Future series where we go into threes, but I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I, to me, you know, when I started, when I when I shot the special and we were in editing and we were trying to come up with a title, we joked about middle classy because it just seemed so obvious from lower classy. And it was just like, ha, ha, ha. You know, it's like, anyway, let's think about the real title. And it just made sense. And it was just this nice, you know, like ascension in a way. And that was also another interesting thing that I wanted to, that I, why I wanted to name it middle classy. When I had my show, the notes I would get from network and studio where we want to see more ascension. The families, uh, the people that watch at home, they want to see uh, ascension in families. They want to see them ascending. I'm like, okay. This is for the TV yes. show. And okay. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. so what does that mean? And I would ask, what does that mean? And they could never tell me what it meant. And I kind of understood, because to me, ascension is you want to see people change. You want to see a journey. You want to see them go from one place to another place. But I realized that what they were trying to do is tell me, can we make them richer? And for me, the middle classy, lower to middle classy, that was my ascension. And I am still ascending. And I like to talk about that specifically because I don't want people to think that it's ever done. So it's that thing where I'm like, I'm already so happy at everything that I've gotten and where I'm at that I can't see what's next. I can't even understand. I wouldn't know what upper class he is right now, you know, and that excites me. Well, Cristela, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I really had a good time. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. That was comedian Cristela Alonzo. Her new Netflix special is called Middle Classy, and it's out now. Today's producer was Sophia Alvarez-Boyd. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. This is 1A.